Howdy, y'all. Welcome to Urban Cowboys Podcast. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute, and uh, my co-host, Doug McCullough, is not with us again today. He's off doing uh, Dougie things. Um, But, you know, for a while now, I have wanted to do uh, a podcast about... Uh, Bitcoin and crypto and that sort of thing, because I don't really understand it. And uh, uh, I'd like to learn more about it. It seems like it's a it's a big issue. Um, so uh, with us, we have people who are actually involved in this field or knowledgeable in the various technical, economic policy aspects uh, of it. Uh, so uh, we have with us uh, uh, Jay Yang, uh, who is the CEO and founder of Tassin, we'll find out exactly what that is. And then also uh, John Bugnacki, who is the uh, policy lead uh, with the company. John, did I did I get your name right? You did, yeah. Okay, good. All right, fantastic. That's always my first question to guests is, did I, did I get your name right? Uh, so welcome, gentlemen. Welcome, both of you. Um, yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. So uh, let's maybe just start. You could just uh, both tell us a little bit about uh, your background, what the company is, what they, uh, what you do. Right. <clears throat> so the company uh, is located in Cheyenne. Uh, so we're a big believer in Wyoming. Uh, it was started in 2019, May. And so what we do is we build workflow tools that help uh, founders raise money through sale of token. Uh, and it's, it's a tool that helps them uh, you know, KYC, their uh, potential purchasers, and you know, see if they are accredited investors and so on and so forth. So one of the problems that we found is that it's very, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the documentation and KYC in order to like raise money, you know, in a compliant way. Uh, that's the experience that we had. Uh, another thing that we're building is a, uh, what's called a hybrid decentralized exchange. So the you know, long story short, uh, centralized exchange like uh, TD Ameritrade or Coinbase, they own the entire vertical, uh, meaning account management and you know, clearing and settlement. And problem with that is uh, they have your money and uh, they can uh, block access to it. And it, they have done that in the past for what various reasons, uh, unknown reasons. And now the solution, uh, a lot of people in the crypto space have come up with a DEX or decentralized exchange. And the, these are exchanges that live on the blockchain so that no one really controls it. <clears throat> Problem with that is DEXs are very slow because blockchains take time to update, um, and uh, which means that if you're trying to you know, submit an order and cancel it relatively quickly, it takes very long time, comparatively speaking, uh, compared well, what, to, say, a centralized uh, model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, sorry, just interrupt you because... Yeah, yeah. Uh, when you when you say like relatively long time, long time, what are we talking about? Because I know a lot of transactions. If you're if you're talking about yeah. some of the main markets, you were talking about milliseconds or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so what I are, are I mean, are we talking about seconds, minutes, hours? Yeah, yeah. So here here's the thing. So if um, if the uh, dex is on chain, so you're trying to do swap between two different cryptos, it could take a very long time. It could be either uh, 18 seconds if it's a Ethereum network, because that's the block time, or it could be very long if you didn't pay sufficient fee to make that transaction happen. So it could be indefinitely long. 
but for say centralized exchange, uh, if you're talking if we're talking about Nasdaq, their order book update uh, and matching the entire flow takes about 16 microseconds as opposed to 18 seconds. Now, there are some different DEXs that are out there that are faster, like 400 milliseconds. Uh, but still, 400 milliseconds is, you will notice it. <laughs> you you think faster than 400 milliseconds for sure. I think human well, brain can tell anything. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Everyone thinks faster than 400 milliseconds. <laughs> um, so, okay. so, yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry about that. Yeah, so the idea is to... Make sure that you uh, we have a system where where the centralization benefit that we get from it um, is in the order matching only, and then we do the settlement on chain. So that way, uh, the exchange doesn't have interest in stealing your money, and the traders have complete control of the money. Yeah, another way to think about it is that the primary benefit of a centralized exchange is speed. However, if you don't control your own private keys. Uh, you know, that, you, yeah. there's no there's no privacy involved in that either. Uh, decentralized exchange has the privacy and security because it's a peer-to-peer solution. However, it's pretty slow. Our at least exchange product <clears throat> seeks to combine the various the advantages of both centralized and decentralized. Correct. And how um, in terms of like uh, liquidity and size of the market? How, how I guess maybe we don't. I mean, I, we have a sense of like how how uh, large, even the decentralized market is because it's all public, public yeah. ledgers. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, <clears throat> right now the entire crypto space. Uh, last time I checked, was uh, around two hundred to three hundred billion dollars a day in volume. But the entire crypto space, including centralized, decentralized, now that's still smaller than Nasdaq. Nasdaq uh, in a day does um, two hundred sixty billion dollars, just single exchange. So. Crypto space still has an enormous room to grow. I think the DEX volumes are getting really close to being par with a centralized exchange on the crypto side. So it, it's getting there, but it's not quite there. Okay. So I think um, it might be a, a good idea for some of our listeners, because I know my dad listens to this podcast. Maybe we could step back and do a crypto 101. Yep. Just kind of, I think you know people know, okay, it's... Uh, you know, it's some sort of digital, some sort of digital currency. Um, you know, it's anonymous in some way, but uh, people don't really understand what it is, how it works. Maybe, maybe it would be good to do just kind of like a basics of that. Absolutely. So, uh, the idea for digital currency goes all the way back to like eighties, and you know, when um, these group of um, software uh, enthusiasts and open encryption enthusiasts called cypherpunks uh, come up, came up with the idea of digital, uh, digital cash. Um, and the thing, problem with digital cash is that, well, you have to trust somebody uh, at the earliest conception of it, meaning like it's no different than having a bank basically giving you credit um, and you know, going from one bank entry to another bank entry. Um, so then the real central uh, focus of that development during the 80s and you know, 90s was how do we make a trustless system? Meaning like I shouldn't have to trust someone else for something to have a value. Um, and that's really at the crux of the problem in, ter- in terms of like if, we, if I have a dollar bill, <clears throat> I'm trusting the U.S. government to actually you know, make it worth something at some point. Uh, whether it's backed by you know fiat or gold, that's another 
problem altogether. Now, on the digital yes. currency side, so then the idea is, okay, question is, who issues it? And second is, how do we know that people are not forging it uh, when you uh, have a digital currency? And then the third is, how do you make it so that it's useful? Um, so the cryptocurrency uh, problem was solved uh, in 2008 when um, this fellow by name of Satoshi Nakamoto wrote a really famous white paper saying Bitcoin, the system for a digital peer-to-peer -peer cash. I, I don't remember the exact title, but that's roughly what it says. <coughs> and uh, I probably should remember it. Um, I'm in the space after all. But um, the interesting part is um, in that white paper, it describes a system by which a uh, digital cash can be created trustlessly, meaning the issuing authority doesn't have to be anyone in particular. And then two, that there is a steady inflation that is uh, slowly decreasing, meaning unlike, say, central bank where they just flip the switch you know, however they want, um, Bitcoin, for example, has a very predictable inflation schedule. And then it slows down inflation over time and then it reaches a certain number. So there's some sort of um, finiteness. And then three, um, digital cash and cryptocurrency now has to solve what's called a double spending problem. Meaning if I sent money to John and I sent money to another of my friends, I shouldn't be able to send the same money to two different people. That's a double spending problem. Um, <clears throat> and the way that Bitcoin solves it in a, in a very condensed and straightforward form is the following. Um, the way in which the currency is minted is by what's called a consensus mechanism, where uh, the transactions that are made by different people are collected. And then when they're collected and someone solves an extremely hard math problem, they get a little bit of reward, uh, additional Bitcoin that's added into the system. And, the re and now, even before that, okay, before minting, how do we even know that the transaction is from, you know, uh, me and not someone pretending to be me? And the way that Bitcoin solves it is by having um, what, you know, uh, what's called a cryptographic hash of, my, basically, I'm signing for it. You can think of it like digital signature of who's sending money to whom. And every transaction has that signature, digital signature in it. So... Kind of like when you go to <clears throat> Amazon website and then you see a little lock button on the top left, that's basically encrypting all your communication between you and Amazon. And so when you log into Amazon's website, they also have your account info and therefore they know it's you. It's not quite as simple as that on the um, cryptocurrency side, but basic logic is this. You have the only private key for which you can sign a transaction. Um, so no one else has a key. So it's like your digital identity. And so what you're doing is I am sending John, you know, 10 Bitcoin uh, and sign it with that dig digital key. And that way it's very difficult to forge. So some people have estimated that <laughs> it'll take many, many, many billions of years to crack the uh, private key that I signed the transaction with. So during the lifetime of that transaction where you know, when he receives the money, um, it will be many years after the heat death of the universe when someone is able to decrypt that <laughs> and be able to forge the signature. And all the transactions are, because it's on, a, at least for Bitcoin, on a public blockchain, yeah. all the transactions are, you know, audited by the entire network. 
Correct. Then, so there's no one single point of failure. Yeah. So that's the another part where, like, there's no single authority that basically says, "Hey, this transaction looks good. That transaction looks good." Um, in fact, in Bitcoin Network, when I send money to you know John, uh, when I send Bitcoin to John, I actually broadcast to all my peers that this is now what I'm doing. That signed uh, transaction, I'm sending it out to everyone. And then those guys are then sending it out to their peers. So it, it percolates throughout the network. And then when the transactions are verified, everybody knows that I signed it. And again, forgery is extremely difficult because it's, uh, it's, uh, it takes mi- billions of years uh, on a just a raw computing power basis to uh, forge the signature. Yeah. So I'd um, just to, just to, uh, more little technical questions than we can sure. kind of get. So, uh, what one one question is, you know, so I know I know that in order to make new Bitcoin, in order to mine them, you have to solve mm-hmm. these, you know, uh, hard math problems, you know, right. like uh, 20, 20 times three, something like that. But yep. um, how is it determined what those math problems are? Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's pretty pretty cool problem. So basically, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto determined that. There is going to be um, elastic uh, number of computers uh, that's going to be on the network because we have to assume that those computers are not available all the time to receive transactions and um, collect them into a block and then um, solve that problem. So <clears throat> what happens is the the nature of the problem is just simple as this: you collect all those um, signed transactions into a block, and then you then run it through some sort of function with a guess, uh, a number that you're going to use as a guess. And then with a guess and the transactions, you should have some answer that has um, some number of zeros in the uh, resulting answer. So it's like 0x0000, whatever. Now, so meaning that that number of zeros and how many number of zeros that you need at the answer determines how difficult the problem is. If it's just one zero that needs to be in the first uh, digit of a number, is some sort of a string, then it's a very easy problem to solve. So which means that the hashing, uh, hashing power that's required, or hashing power is a very fancy way to say your computing power, required to solve that problem is very low. And so if, the, if there are like million miners that's doing this, then the difficulty is scaled uh, up so that there is a equal num- uh, number of... Uh, so the difficulty is scaled up to the goal of meeting the inflation goal. Meaning like if there's a lot of computers at some point, they have to bump up the difficulty in order to make sure that statistically you're generating certain number of Bitcoin every 10 minutes. Um, so the, the hash rate... Um, determines the difficulty on an ongoing basis. Okay. And then just the other question is, you know, we've been talking about Bitcoin um, specifically. I know that there's a lot of other mm-hmm. uh, crypto coins out there. Are they, do they basically all operate in the same uh, principle in terms of mining and, and public ledger and all that stuff? Right, or? right. So the what's the, the system of um, uh, cryptocurrency that uses the system is called Proof of work, meaning that proof of work is a way to, you know, deter uh, what's called a spam attack or civil attack. And civil attack is basically lots of sock puppets su- submitting answers 
without incurring any costs. So you can think of it like just, you know, yes. the CAPTCHA. Yeah, exactly. Um, so like when you go to a website, sometimes they ask you like, you know, hey, like <laughs> click where you, you see a car. So it's, it's increasing the computing costs required. But at the same time, the proof of work system, what it does is it is a statistical funnel. So if you think about peer-to-peer -peer system, you don't really know who has the first answer, right? Like uh, you also have a problem with, you know, multiple people doing computation at the same time. Like all of, everyone is doing everything at the same time. But we know through math that if you make the problem hard enough, then there's only going to be one solution in a given time. And so the, the proof of work is a way to take the um, bunch of different, you know, <clears throat> what's called a concurrent systems that happen. Concurrent just means things are happening at the same time and narrow it down to a single sequence of uh, events. And so because there will be only one answer that is correct, uh, given how difficult the problem is. Um, so that's what's called a proof of work system or consensus algorithm, or broadly now called also like system that I just described and more specific to Bitcoin is called the Nakamoto consensus. Now, there are other systems called uh, proof of stake and proof of authority and proof of whatever. There are some other ones. <laughs> yeah, many, many others. But proof of stake is a big other one that basically says, okay, if you have a lot to lose from validating the transaction incorrectly by putting some collateral up front, then um, you can be trusted to generally sign off on a verification. Mm -hmm. So you can like, think of kind of um, like um, the, yeah. the Facebook's um, Zuckbook, uh, what, what was it? Uh, I forget, the, the Libra. <laughs> so Libra yeah, yeah. is a, basically a proof of stake system where the their payment network participants put up like $30 million to like sign off on. Okay. They basically are saying, yeah, this is an insurance fund. And there've been problems with the, you know, uh, either blockchains that are based on proof of work, moving to proof of stake, or as Jay was pointing out, uh, blockchains that are based on uh, proof of uh, stake itself. Yeah. I, I believe, you know, one of the most, uh, you know, popular and powerful blockchains, uh, Ethereum, they've, been trying to move to uh, proof of stake. However, this has been repeatedly and repeatedly delayed. Yeah, it's it's a very difficult problem to solve because now on the one hand, um, there's a whole argument that proof of work is energy intensive and expensive. Um, but the thing is, like my personal opinion, and it's not an opinion of the company, is that like first thing is that it's expensive for a reason because what you're trying to get is um, statistical near certainty that something is true and that requires a lot of computing power. And then two, the, the energy spent is what's paying for the security of the network. And then three, the energy is already paid for because people who are running the mines are paying electrical bills. Um, so I, as opposed to say like proof of stake where the, the energy consumption may be lower, but there are a lot of other um, dispute resolution mechanism that has to be built in in order for transaction to be like for certain like yeah there's there's no dispute ever right and just so um just for your audience uh, you know blockchain technology isn't just used for digital payments um it shouldn't be viewed in some sort of way that all, all of the blockchains if you go to coin market cap all of the different uh, tokens or coins that you see on there and their associated projects 
that's just used for in digital payments. Um, blockchain technology and the underlying power of the distributed ledger can be applied for many different things. Uh, in digital payments is what we've discussed before. Um, you know, tracking things like uh, the rules of origin or uh, custody can be applied to you know legal matters with smart yeah. contracts. Uh, it really is some you know, powerful stuff. It can be applied across a number of different applications. So I feel like a lot of people think that oh well, all of these things are you know meant to compete, for instance, against the U.S. dollar. And then you would think, well, then how can all of these be competing against each other? Isn't it just sort of you know pure speculation? But right. I mean, the vast majority of uh, blockchains that have achieved some sort of market dominance. Uh, have their own niche, uh, and it's not just uh, digital payments. Yep. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, well, actually, l- let me get back because I, I I interrupted you. You were talking about your your business, and you mm-hmm. mentioned there's the centralized, you know, service uh, exchange, and then there's the yep. decentralized. Uh, I sort of think it's like if you know, if I buy gold on TD Ameritrade, I don't actually physically have the gold or whatever. There's right. a record of what. Versus, you know, you could do some sort of like swap meet where you're switching gold with people that would not be officially, you know, there'd be more privacy, but obviously it's a less efficient system. And you were, so your business is something about like trying to uh, get the best of both worlds, I guess, or. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about those like exact scenarios, right? So, you know, but since uh, physical delivery is another problem altogether that even say if you did it with Coinbase, you know, they're not solving centralized um, exchanges are not solving physical delivery anyway. So uh, taking that aside, um, let's think, talk about like your account in a centralized exchange. You have to sign up. So you're sending them your email address. And then once you sign up. You have to tell them your, you know, in some cases, social security number or like passport picture or some crazy stuff like that. So these exchanges are just giant honeypot for identity, you know, theft. And uh, it has happened so many times where a Coinbase user, you know, account got hacked and then $500,000 just flies out of the account. Um, And because Bitcoin itself is not insured by FDIC, uh, well, tough luck, right? Um, Coinbase has some like private insurance, but even then it's not, it's not going to make the user whole. So there's this concept of user in a centralized exchange, which is basically someone who logs in and, you know, kind of delegates the right to exchange to do these things and custody these things. So custody is the important part. So in a centralized exchange, when I send them crypto or money, they have it in their system and they can deny access to me at any time for whatever reason. Um, in the, but what, the, what you get from centralization is that <clears throat> um, order matching engine or what, you know, when the trades and uh, when, when the orders come in from different people, Alice and Bob sends a buy and sell order, right? Um, the centralization makes it so that you can, you know, tr- make that trade executed very quickly because computers are faster than blockchain, uh, which is like the idea behind blockchain is to slow things down so that you have, you know, basically a linear event of uh, a series of events from millions of the people that you wouldn't know, <clears throat> as opposed to centralized exchange where you know exactly who's logged in and then you can enact that exchange very quickly. Now, problem with centralized exchange, like I said, is they also take custody of your money. So 
in, in, in certain cases, um, it, you know, it, it could be that your account is flagged for whatever reason, that you no longer have access to your money, or they prevent you from sending Canada, it to destination of your choice. Are you talking about like what happened in Canada with the, with the trucker protest or things that's like right, that? That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So there, so there's a sort of like who really owns your money aspect of it, right? It's financial sovereignty, meaning like the, if you, you know, send money to someone else that's supposed to be acting as your agent, then is the agent going to do exactly what you tell you, or is there a conflict of interest? So this is a, um, uh, there, I, it's broader um, term for this, you know, I'm, I'm sure your audience already knows is a, a principal agent problem where the, the agent doesn't perform exactly what the, there is a difference of interest. Um, and therefore the agent cannot, can never be fully trusted. But the solution to that is to take away the uh, perverse incentive that the agent may have or conflicting interest so that the, you know, the interest of the principal is mapped, you know, one-to-one with the uh, agent. And I think that taking the custody problem away, meaning like the, if the exchange doesn't have your money, they can lock it, they can't steal it, they can't deny you access to it. So that's uh, our model of exchange where you, you, know, you as a trader still owns full access to your own money. And then the, uh, but the, you still have to have a fast um, transaction. So we have a centralized uh, order book that you, for which you authorize signatures for, and then you send the request to you know, buy or sell. And then once those get matched, then settlement happens between the traders, between you and someone else, or Alice and Bob, or whatever else it is, on chain. That way, the exchange gets out of the way of business of storing money and moving money around. Okay, and how does it how does it make money? Is that I guess is there like a, a fee that you have to yeah. pay in order to? Yeah. So you can think of it like um, we we charge matching fees essentially. So it's kind of like uh, if you you know, put up an order and then it gets matched. We're basically saying, hey, we're a digital, you know, bulletin board. So if it gets matched, then, you know, we get, you know, 50 cents or whatever it is. Um, and then the, but the actual settlement between the two parties happens between them, you know, what's called a peer-to-peer fashion. And that happens on the blockchain. Yeah. What, so one thing that um, I've never fully understood uh, mm-hmm. Just because you know, one of the, I think one of the big advantages of cryptocurrency in general is supposed to be the um, the privacy aspect. Yeah. Um, but you know, because no one no one knows what your what your private key is or what you know, right. like who is necessarily associated with that account. But you know, all the all the transactions are public. Um, so do want to like if you ever want to use the money for stuff or transfer it. Yep. Uh, I, I either if you want to transfer it to like, you know, dollars or some uh, yep. real world currency to use that, use that. Or even if you want to just like do transactions, it seems like over time it would become apparent if you're using it, like who is the who is the real life person associated with, yep. the, with the account. Yep. Um, precisely, precisely. Yeah. So it's um so Bitcoin and Ethereum, they're both public ledger, which means that. Your wallet address is pseudonymous, exactly like you said. So as soon as your cryptocurrency transaction um, touches some sort of like physical world, whether you bought something, maybe maybe I bought some like 
prescription drugs using you know crypto or something like that, right? That's the scenario. Then they would know. Okay, fine. This guy wanted to get delivered, so exactly I know who it is. Um, and that's actually how like a lot of the um, the anti money laundering enforcements get done. Um, you know, for for good reason. Maybe maybe it's financing terror, so we need to know how it's done. Maybe it goes back into some bank, you know, in some um, uh, you know different jurisdiction that it shouldn't. Um, but yes, like it's pseudonymous. There are privacy tokens, uh, privacy coins like Monero and Zcash and so on and so forth that shrouds like the um, uh, information of transaction. Meaning, like if you read the transaction that's encrypted, uh, uh, what's called a confidential transaction. You won't be able to tell who sent what to whom. Um, but the problem with that is that then if you can't tell who sent what to whom, then how do you prove that the money is real? That's like the big problem. And there's a, many people who are a lot smarter than I am that are mathematicians have proven that it can be done. Um, but in Bitcoin and um, Ethereum, for sure, you can tell which uh, you know, uh, address sent what to which address. Um, so yeah, that that still is a big vector for financial surveillance. Okay, well let's talk uh, let's talk a little bit about the regulatory side of things. I know you guys are in Wyoming. I've heard a lot of great things about Wyoming, but I assume you're not just there for the the weather and the scenery and whatever. So why <laughs> why uh, like why Wyoming? And I know you know there's been, certainly I have noticed that there are certain um, places in the country in the world that like uh want to try and attract um you know crypto stuff like you know miami or el salvador i guess mm -hmm. uh is a place that comes to my wyoming i know has also been in the news for some of it. so why why uh why wyoming okay um so there, there's a couple reasons one is um it's in united states where at least we understand what the you know expectation of rule of law is so that's one of them so when people say el salvador i always feel a little bit uncomfortable because, well, we don't really know the history of their sort of like concept of rule of law. It can change on a dime. Um, so when it, it, it makes me uncomfortable, uh, but be that as it may, that's another way to experiment on uh, different jurisdictions. So I'm not going to knock that, of course. Um, and uh, so let's talk about Miami. <clears throat> Miami is a huge city. It's got a diverse, um, you know, industries. And so they don't really need crypto to be there in order for it to be a success. So it could be a fad. Like if they lose their interest, then they might make it less interesting. And there isn't also a statewide interest from Florida to make crypto something you know that they are focusing on. Uh, whereas strategically speaking, Wyoming, um, you know, both at the state level and Cheyenne at the city level, and just you know from the governor's office all the way down to you know state representatives and senators. They have been on the mark in terms of making a regulation friendly enough where like I actually want to you know make sure that I build business here now that sounds like a lot of hot, a lot of like a you know hot air so let me just like drill it down into like simple really straightforward terms um one is uh it's got it's got a um really like a great cost of living here. Um, so like if you wanted to attract talent it's is easy enough and um second thing. Everything works here, not a problem. Fast internet, what what have you? Um, right. We're close to Denver. Um, one of the well, two of the internet um, um, uh, 
uh, providers' backbones, uh, Sprint and L3s, go straight through Cheyenne. So we have fiber and everything works. Um, and But going back to the regulatory certainty, so Wyoming seems to be very interested in making sure that they work with industry to like understand what the problem is of crypto and how to make it so that it's um, well-regulated, meaning like not just trying to like extract value from it, but understanding like how do we foster it so that more companies move here and then uh, make sure that the industry grows here. Yeah, at the, really, if you look at the uh, federal level outside of uh, various uh, agencies um, defining what the regulations uh, are, I suppose, by enforcement actions, uh, you really haven't had a, a comprehensive uh, approach uh, toward many of the major issues in crypto. Occasionally, an agency will say, well, we think that this is the tax status of uh, an airdrop. However, uh, the cryptocurrency uh, is one of the only categories in which uh, the SEC says it's a security. The Commodities Futures uh, Trading Commission says it's a commodity. Okay. The IRS say, uh, says it's property. The Comptroller of the Currency says that it's currency. So uh, <laughs> it just <laughs> falls into all of these uh, different uh, buckets. The US and, uh, you have these various uh, vegetable, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you really haven't had a, a good, like, bipartisan, uh, comprehensive approach. I know that, uh, you know, the, the Wyoming uh, Senator Cynthia Lummis uh, has a uh, draft comprehensive uh, cryptocurrency and uh, blockchain regulatory bill uh, that she's uh, attempting to work on with uh, a few uh, potential Democratic co-sponsors. Uh, so I think that's probably one of the best attempts uh, as of late. So where does Wyoming come into this? So, uh, for instance, the, there's a bunch of uh, banks, you know, crypto banks uh, that have uh, attempted to gain uh, federal uh, recognition uh, because, one, a lot of crypto businesses uh, had a lot of difficulty accessing uh, traditional banking methods. Uh, number two, how are they going to be like custodying their crypto? I think banks now have some increased interest in this. And so a bunch of entrepreneurs said, well, we want to have a crypto bank. However, what's the actual, how does that actually work? What's the relationship between yourselves and your uh, customers and whatnot? <laughs> and so that's why Wyoming, uh, you see you know, parallel legislation in a number of different states. And Wyoming created the Special Purpose Depository uh, Institution, um, you know, a, a crypto bank uh, that can serve uh, not only as a way, a jumping off point here within uh, Wyoming, um, fostering uh, innovation and entrepreneurship here, uh, but also helping to spur uh, some action on the federal level um, yeah. in the order to, uh, that the uh, some of these banks can get master account status. Another very interesting uh, law that Wyoming came out with is, uh, Josiah, are you familiar with uh, decentralized autonomous organizations, DAOs? Are you familiar with that? Uh, I don't know that. Uh, I don't know that uh, acronym. Yeah. Yeah, so you can go on, Jay. Oh, no. So DAOs are basically um, programs that you deploy on, you know, blockchain that simulates a, a, a or has a mechanism for different people to make decisions uh, in common. So you can vote on certain decisions or you can have like corporate kind of structure with a DAO. So DAO is basically just a, a series of programs uh, called smart contracts that um uh, has these mechanisms built in uh, where normally like 
corporate governance is like board action and then you sign it and then you 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 have you send it to your law firm or whatever right um so yeah DAOs. go ahead yeah as uh, jay was saying uh the dao is a sort of revolutionary form of corporate governance uh, that allows various uh, stakeholders uh whether that be through a certain token or whatnot uh, you know, to be able to actively uh, vote and uh, govern the corporation. Uh, you know, traditionally, uh, you've had various forms of uh, partnerships, whether that be a general partnership, uh, limited liability, uh, you can have a limited partnership, limited, and then the big innovation, which actually, you know, also came from Wyoming, was a limited liability company uh, to be able to provide various uh, protections uh, to uh, investors within a certain corporate vehicle. So uh, a DAO is really a progression of that because rather than relying upon some sort of uh, managers or board meetings, uh, the shareholders play an active role in the governance of their, their enterprise. And they can do so on as regular basis as, you know, every day, weekly, yep. monthly, yep. whatever it's set up. So it allows a lot more uh, flexibility and interesting aspects uh, toward corporate governance. However, in a lot of places, uh, this would be regarded if you don't have some sort of corporate form for it, it would be regarded as more or less a general partnership. And so you don't have uh, uh, limited liability protections um, and it can very easily unwind um, yeah. in a sort of negative way. And so what Wyoming said is uh, they passed a bill that allowed uh, DAOs to be uh, incorporated as uh, LLCs. So you're able to get that sort of revolutionary uh, corporate governance modes that DAOs uh, afford while at the same time uh, having the limited liability uh, protections uh, that would allow yeah. them to be able to exist uh, really without yeah. uh, incurring tremendous li potential liability. Are they, are they the, is Wyoming the only state that's done that so far? Or um, there, There's some discussions in different states that are trying to do like um, recognize um, registration of DAO as an LLC. I, I don't have an exhaustive list of it, but it's only a handful couple, I would say. One of the other big, uh, back to your original question, Josiah, about why Wyoming is that one of the other big, one of the other big benefits uh, is that, as Jay was pointing out, on the size of it, right? So we live in, Chi uh, rather, our company, uh, we have about 30 uh, global employees and then 10 about here in Cheyenne and I think about 20 uh, in the US, US as a whole, yeah. right? So one of the other benefits is that if you're a company that's going to, let's say, uh, Miami or uh, Austin or Nashville, I mean, those are all great places and you can get some great relationships with potential uh, VCs, uh, with other people in your sphere uh, to be able to build really great partnerships. Uh, but what's great from a certain perspective about a place like uh, Cheyenne being about a city of about 60,000 and Realistically, the metro area is about 100,000, is that uh, you have a tremendous access to you know, legislators, for instance, that if you want to understand, well, how can we do this, you know, if you have a crypto banking operation, or even if you have new ideas for, we need some more uh, certainty to be able to attract outside investment, we'd like to pursue this certain thing, uh, that the uh, government here is... Uh, you know, very interested in uh, helping you out and actually hearing your opinions. Yeah. And so this works in two ways. One, in terms of the focus generally on blockchain cryptocurrency technology, which, you know, there are a number of other jurisdictions that are interested in it, but not to the same level as Wyoming. 
Uh, number two, the fact that uh, because uh, there just simply aren't as many tech companies uh, here right now, that if you were to come here and have a relationship with them, you have an outsized voice. For instance, if you'd like to you know, influence uh, the government yeah, I'm sorry. I sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh. Yeah. If you'd like to influence the government policy in some sort of way, uh, then in, if you go down to, uh, like, let's say Texas, for instance, you know, it's a huge state, an enormous market, and you're competing against people like, you know, Tesla, like Elon Musk, <laughs> yeah. uh, for some potential influence. It really is true, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, it's inter so it sounds like you know, the appeal of Wyoming is not simply that the current environment is good, but that the just kind of uh, features of, you know, the, 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 the state, um, uh, you know, like size and, and government, other stuff, like suggests to you that it's going to be it's going to be a favorable environment, like long term. Right. Uh, kind of regardless of any other changes in, you know, like politics or. Yep. Or other stuff it, like it's that. a it's mainly government is smaller than most places and they are laser focused in making sure that the the state drives. And so because of that, they're willing to experiment in a lot of different things, small scale, big scale. And also because they're, you know, they're a smaller government, uh, they're willing to hear you uh, like, you know, John said. But more importantly, they, they're keenly interested in making sure that they have a key industry. Like, so there's a mining and you know, natural resources extraction, which is big. Uh, but they're, you know, they're trying to now build another big industry that's going to create a lot of high paying jobs. So there, there's an in incentive that for them to <clears throat> do this. And just to kind of like give a summary of like why Wyoming is, well, um, they, their policies that are being passed as laws are directly trying to integrate what's out there in the cutting edge. I mean, you know, just Dow, Dow um, legislation is one of them. And then there is the another one that came up where Wyoming is trying to create its own stable coin that is dollar pegged, uh, what's, uh, what's called the Wyoming Stable Token Act. So th really, like the lawmakers here understand the stake. And they are really, uh, they are very much keen on trying to push the boundary in terms of technology and how it can come back and benefit the state residents. Yeah, yeah. I know. Also connect. Go, go ahead. Oh, yeah. Just going off what Jay said, they, they can act very nimbly. Yeah. Uh, the fact that, uh, whereas in other states, uh, for instance, uh, New York, uh, you really see sort of these big partisan divides over like blockchain technology, um, at least in New York. One of the most prominent of those has been uh, the environmental impact of uh, Bitcoin mining. Yeah. Uh, but here you don't really see that, right? Um, we They have a blockchain select committee, which prepares legislation that is then you know, passed by the Wyoming legislature. And uh, you have one uh, Democratic senator who's uh, chairman of uh, the committee and uh, another uh, Republican representative who's a chairman of the committee. And uh, yeah, they're just focused on really uh, entrepreneurship and innovation. And uh, in that respect, uh, Wyoming is also special as well. Yeah. Although I, I checked and there's not actually that many Democratic senators in, in Wyoming, at least. That, that's, a, that's a different matter. But what I can <laughs> say is that the relationship between Democrats and Republicans are very cordial, number one. And two, that the both parties understand the importance of you know, fostering environment to like bring more, 
you know, capital and, you know, entrepreneurs in, into the state. So like in that sense, like they're very much more focused on the mission rather than the partisan divide, which is actually very refreshing to see. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how much, uh, I don't, I think we're a little bit over the, the time allotted. Um, but, uh, so I will, oh, so just, uh, to, you know, it's like a final thing. One, um, thing that we do like to ask a lot of the guests is if there's a particular, uh, you know, movie, TV show, other cultural product uh, that they want to recommend related to the uh, program. I don't know if there's anything like crypto or Bitcoin related uh, that you would want to recommend. Oh, oh boy. Um, so <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's specifically what I would recommend on the movie side. Uh, on the crypto, I, I think there was a one that just recently came out where it investigated um, Canadian exchange founders disappearance. Um, I, I forgot what the title is. Um, so you, you can look at, I, I, I'm not sure what the title is, but we can probably look it up. Netflix um, or Amazon. Uh, it's, it's called, uh, trust no one, the hunt trust for no crypto one. king. Okay. Um, apparently it was well done. Uh, and it, it, the research was pretty thorough. And so it, it follows this like exchange, uh, you know, CEO who supposedly is missing a uh, person now. And because he's missing, no one has access to all of the millions, if not billion dollar uh, of uh, deposits that the customers made, which is crazy, right? So <laughs> it kind of is very similar to what problem we're trying to solve. Uh, so there, there's that. Uh, John, do you Maybe have a you movie forgot or... your password? Sorry. <laughs> forgot your password. Literally, yeah. it's literally okay. forgot your password. And it's not going to get solved for a billion years. So. Yeah. Yeah, I can't really uh, recall many uh, movies about uh, crypto in particular. However, there are a bunch of interesting movies that have been uh, set in Wyoming. I think probably one of the more prominent of which, uh, but the, the two most prominent of which are probably uh, The Hateful Eight and uh, Unforgiven. So those yeah. are both uh, mm -hmm. good movies. Uh, you know, for TV shows, uh, Longmire, it's supposed Longmire, to be. yeah. My That's wife right. is a big Longmire fan. <laughs> That's yeah. a good one. Yellowstone takes place partially in yeah. Wyoming. Yeah. It's uh -huh. in Wyoming. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, uh, guys, thank you. Uh, very much for joining us and helping to explain all this stuff. I think I, I understood maybe about 70, uh, 75% of it, which is good. No, that's excellent. Yeah. That's excellent. Uh, um, uh, is there, if the, if people want to learn more, uh, I know, uh, John, I think you guys have a blog or something. Uh, uh we have a variety of, uh, social media. So we have, uh, Tassin, Tassin Duck. Dot com. Yeah. Dot com, yeah. Yeah. So our website is https colon slash slash www.tassin.com or you can just say tassin.com and it'll do it. And then um, John and our legal team has an excellent blog uh, at blog.tassin.com, uh, which also kind of like describes like the landscape, compliance landscape, regulatory landscape, and occasionally we talk about technology. Okay, fantastic. Moreover, we're also on you know all the different forms of social media, and uh, if you're interested, well, we could do a follow up episode. But if you are interested, if you're a new sort of a crypto startup, if you have some interesting ideas, um, and you'd like a really great place to, I think, start off has a great future. If you're interested in uh, Wyoming, please uh, you know reach out and talk to us. Yeah. All right. Uh, okay. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Jay and John.